welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you something, people. I get really irritated this morning around uh, 4.30. I woke up for some reason. I don't know why I woke up. I think because it's older. I have to get up and I have to take a pee. And for some reason, at 4.30 when it's dark, the birds were out chirping. Now, I grew up back east, and we had birds. We had lots of birds. But birds never chirped when it was dark out. They only chirped when it was light. So I'm sitting there. I'm going, wait a second. Then Joanne woke up, and she goes, God, these birds are loud. And I'm like, what is this crap? I mean, Burbank has these African parrots that come in at one like for three weeks during the year, and they're loud as hell. But I don't get it. It's summertime. Should these birds be asleep? When I grew up, birds weren't out at nighttime. They, you didn't see them. And at 5 in the morning, you didn't hear them. Anyway, we're going to ask my guest about birds. Uh, my guest is Jim O'Hare. How you doing, Jim? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Good. Now, you're from Chicago. Did, were, were, did, were birds nocturnal? Did they chirp, chirp at night? They No, there was no chirping at night, though I'm never up at 4.30 in the morning unless I'm just going to bed. Okay. So I will say that. But uh, no, birds are, are birds are daylight, sunshine, uh, and I have a backyard where they this time of year is filled with little baby birds because they make tons of nests in my backyard. Tons of nests. This, you have an inviting backyard, though. I have a very inviting backyard, yeah. And I would never stop them. Oh, you can't. Yeah, you can't. can't. Let them do their thing, yeah. Now, I, you're, you're from you're from Chicago at the end, Yeah. Right? Now, now, uh, when did you know you wanted to get into acting and comedy? Were you, I mean, was it as a little kid, or, or when did that happen? You know, it's a shame. I probably would have had a lot more fun in high school had I realized it earlier, because in eighth grade, I did a play. And the only reason I did the play was I was the only fat kid, and they needed a guy to play Chief Sitting Bull in Annie Get Your Gun. So they came, I like, I didn't audition for the play or anything, but I had a blast once I did it. And I remember thinking, man, this was so much fun. And the kids were all great and everything. Well, next year was high school. So I had contemplated getting into the theater department over there. But then, you know, you're sick, well, no, 14, 15, whatever age you are, God forbid you get labeled a theater fag or a drama queen, all that, you know, all that ridiculous stuff as an adult, you go, what an idiot. But I never did it. So I had, did none of that. All through school, I did none of that. Isn't it weird how it's changed with theater? Because I know yes. I'm, I'm, you're, we're around the same age. I'm 51. 53. And, and when I was in high school, and, and I found out later that high school, I went to Cherry Hill East, we had an amazing, amazing theater department. But that's the thing. Like there was guys in leg warmers. Exactly. And back then, you, didn't, you didn't know. No one came out. No one said it. But you're like, wait, and you're, you weren't aware. I mean, it wasn't like now the awareness. And right. no one in the neighborhood said, oh, you know, he might be gay. No, they just said, oh, he's different. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a totally different world. And it's a shame because you had the, you know, you had the the stoners, you know, there was labels for everything. And you were, if you were in theater, you were a drama fag, you know, and you didn't want that label. So I uh, I ended up being kind of one of the smart kids, I guess. I always got good grades. I was kind of a good kid. Um, but then when college came, I literally did not know what the hell I wanted to do. So I decided to go to Loyola University in Chicago only because other people I knew were going there. It literally, there was nothing that drew me there other than they accepted me and uh, I knew there would, there would be people there. Well, when I got there, there was a radio station. And uh, WLUW in Chicago, Loyola Radio. And I got involved with it, and I really enjoyed it. And they let me kind of, you know, it's stu- it's a student radio station, so it only goes within like a mile. Of, oh, yeah. And you know, I mean. It, it's it, your campus. It's yeah. your campus, yeah. and then maybe, you know, toward Lakeshore Drive or something like that. It's certainly not a big audience, but I really had a good time with it. And it would go throughout the school, so you get a little notoriety from that, which was kind of cool. Were you doing characters, or were you just no, spinning no, no. Records, this was or? well, uh, you know, you got to talk, but it was uh, definitely music. It was definitely music, but you talk in between, and then sometimes you totally goof up and you, you know, redo it. You know, it, like I don't have any of those tapes. I wish I did because I'm sure they were a nightmare. Okay, <laughs> but what was weird was. Um, I, the school thing wasn't it just nothing was rocking my world uh, education wise like I went there for business and I got involved with the business fraternity and I had so much fun with that <laughs> which is, was probably not the best thing for me because literally the class would end at 1130 and 1140 we were at the local bar just Wait, going at it see that's funny when I went to college because we went to a small school in New Jersey and yeah. it was in the middle of the Pine Barrens and it was called Richard. It was when I went. It was Stockton State College. Now it's Richard Stockton University. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, university. But for us, when you go in your freshman year, you don't know this, but because it's sort of a weekend, people go home a weekend. So Thursday is the big party night. Well, you go in your freshman year and you schedule a class at like 
8:30 on a Friday. By the time it's this next semester, I didn't have one more Friday. In fact, I would, I would do. I would have Thursdays. I would schedule my classes like 11 to whatever, and then there were two hours because there's four hour four credit classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get done by like 5:30. Same thing. We go to the meal plan and start drinking. <laughs> that was it. And you said, forget yeah, Friday. Forget can't it. take classes. Yeah, and I was the fraternity chugger, so <laughs> it was like this whole thing, you know. So, so basically, my life there was the radio station and. Uh, in the fraternity, which is not, you know, a good combo. I mean, it's a great combo as far as having a great time, but it wasn't a good combo as far as my education went. So I got, I, I always say, I think it was my mom who called and said, there's this program, I, this, um, this broadcasting school that I think you would be interested in. And I looked it up and it did sound pretty interesting. It was like Midwestern, Midwest Broadcast Academy or something in Chicago. So I went there and it really was interesting. And so I left there with a demo reel. And uh, I knew how to work a board, you know, for radio. And then I just started sending my reel out all over the country. I mean, everywhere. It's so funny because oh. I, I know people who started off radio that way. You know, Phil Hendry. I don't know if you know yeah, Phil Yeah, well, I don't know him. I love Phil Hendry. Well, Phil was, t- he was telling me how, like, you know, he was just sending the tape out. And then he ended up in Minnesota and then he ended up here. <laughs> exactly. and, and then it was like, it was a job. And you're young and yeah. you want to get that job. And the thing is. You probably sent it out to some of the crappiest little towns you've never heard of. You get a list. It, it used to be, which, oh, what is Bill? Oh, there was records and. Well, now it's there, all access. It's all, listener. but there, there was a magazine that you got that you subscribed to. And it literally had every radio station that was out there. So you sent, and this is the old days. You're not sending an MP3. Right. You are putting in a package. You are paying for the, I mean, it's the whole old I school. I went through that doing stand-up. It yeah. was like, hey, seven bucks to send out to get it. They're never going to look at this. Exactly. But you got to do it. And it was real. I mean, it wasn't yeah, a so little, it was more a whole, expensive. way more expensive. So it's crazy. But you did it. So I get a call from this place in Rensselaer, Indiana, which turns out is only two hours outside of Chicago. Hmm. So I go down there and meet with the guy. He offers me the job. I was like, oh, you know, it's that weird thing. Watch what you wish for because you might get it. All of a sudden, I'm, I've am i got this job. And I'm going to be, he's the uh, the owner of the station is the morning guy. So I'm going to be mid, mid-mornings to, the after, uh, to mid-afternoon. Well, it was the craziest place I've ever been at in my life. He was crazy. His wife was crazy. You he, mean like mentally crazy? I think mentally out of their minds. <laughs> they had, um, I, I was working, first of all, and, and this doesn't bother me because this is the nature of anything. I, I was making $120 a week and I was there at least 70 hours a week. It was just the nature of it. I ended up doing all of their logs because this is in the old days. People are writing out, you know, at, at 10, 12, you're going to play this commercial. And it's all then written and then typed. It's no computers. There's no, and it's yeah, all. Here we start. I just, I flip yes, it on. Yes, you put it set. all up there. It takes time. And also it's carts. Do you remember carts? I wasn't in, I wasn't in radio. So you never did. It was, it oh, was you awful. would layer these carts upon <laughs> carts and then they had to be cleaned and you were, you were producing your own commercial spots. I mean, it was crazy. But what was even crazier, you're making no money. And the owner of the place, he's swapping out ads for stuff. So he can never make payroll because he's driving a, a Cadillac in this little town because he's giving them free, right, free right. plugs. So it was a crazy situation. But I will say I learned so much. I learned it was I mean, I really look at it as a wonderful experience. Not at the time, because I, I, one of my favorite stories is my parents came down to see me and I had warned them. I said, listen, this place I'm living in is, you know, I'm only making one hundred twenty dollars a week. So you can imagine I'm not in the nicest place. So my parents come down. Well, I guess my dad had said to my mom on the way there, don't be negative. No matter what is going on, don't be negative. This is, you know, he's beginning, blah, 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 blah. So I, they come into the apartment, whatever the hell it was, and within five minutes, I look over, my mom is crying. I go, what is wrong? And she goes, what did we ever do that you would want to live in a place like this? I go, it's not a matter of want. I make no money. You know, so, but it's all, those are dues. Right. You know, those are dues. And then the way the acting thing happened was, while I was there, I got a call. Uh, the secretary said, somebody wants to talk to you off air. Okay. Uh, and also, this is the kind of radio station where, the the sign in front of us would always say, always remember, at any point, 12,000 people can be listening. You know what I mean? So it's it's crazy. 
Uh, and we had we would do pig reports and farm reports, and we had this thing called the party line, where you know I, I want to give up. I have two cattle that I'm willing to trade for. You know, uh, I needed two day of a John Deere rental, and so it was just all this kind of back and forth with people. And if we had a contest, the prize for the contest would be a six pack of Pepsi. And these people, <laughs> no, Steve, I'm telling you, these people would drive 25 miles. And come in for that six pack of Pepsi because they won something. Because they it won like, something. I want something from the radio. It's a six pack. You just spent more in gas than that six pack of Pepsi is at your local wherever you know Piggly Wiggly or whatever the hell you do. So, um, so I anyway, so I talked to this guy off the air. I just think it's going to be some local merchant or something like that. And he said hi, and we start talking. He's associated with Second City in Chicago, and he said, listen, I I travel this route for i don't know if it was business reasons or family he says uh, i always tune you in and uh, i like your sense of humor okay <laughs> and he goes have you ever thought about working over at second city and i said well you know people love the thought of that but no never like as a real thing especially being from chicago especially, you know how big second i certainly city is. know what second I mean, city yeah, is that's giant. my god you're, you're raised on hearing about second city and uh, he said you really should uh, you should look into those into the classes and into that whole world over there so you know, I kind of just put it in the back burner. Well, and then as the months went on, I just realized I, this. I mean, this guy would come in and punch holes in the wall. The owner. I mean, he was he was a lunatic. Right. There's no doubt. <laughs> Him and the wife. There were screaming fights. I don't think it was ever physical. I hope not, because I like to think I would have jumped in if it was. I never heard any hitting. Uh, but literally, he'd be punching holes. So checks weren't. It was just. It was time to get out. So I start sending my tape out again. You know, my reel out, my demo reel. And then it was just in the back of my head about that call. And so I thought, uh, just just give it a shot. So called my folks and said, do you mind if I move back home for a while? I want to go take some classes at Second City. And I'll tell you, that's what changed everything. Because I will never forget like it was yesterday. My first day in class, the teacher was Martin DeMott. I got on stage. He had us do something. I got a laugh. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah. I like this. I like this. And not that you always got laughs, but I knew there was something that happened that day. I always say, I really believe something happened that day that told me whether I'd make a living at it, I don't know, but I I knew I would always be involved. Like, I love this performance stuff. I just love it. So from there, I took all the classes. Then I got involved with a group of five other people, and we created a, uh, a uh, comedy group called White Noise. Three guys, three girls. and. I, you know, <laughs> this sound like it's bragging. It really, it isn't. But in for the day and age, we're talking 85, 86, 87, 88. Um, we were doing some really innovative stuff. We were use, we were incorporating video. We were incorporating, which now no one would blink at that. Right. But, but at but the time. Because video wasn't, I remember when I worked at the comedy club uh, in Philadelphia, probably yeah. like 18, 1918, 19, yeah, 18. <laughs> Damn, I you look we, good. We had goblins. We had, they had goblins of beers and we had lanterns. Yes. <laughs> and your wenches. Exactly. But it was it was like 1988 or 89 when I started and there was this guy named Grover Silcox and he the, his act was the true meaning of cool and he yeah. played this character. But in the beginning of the Comedy Factory Outlet, because they had a taping thing, people when they were waiting to see him would see a limo pull up and they it was a fake thing of him it was a all oh, tape of right. him running up the steps like saying hi to these ladies right 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 and it was all staged but people thought it was real and back then no one used video at all no one used it and we even did it for one of our shows we had where it, it, it was a sketch show but it was a sketch show that all wrapped together so it was really a play because by the end all the sketches melded okay at one point we when each character would run off stage we would pop up on a video screen as a cartoon i mean really for the time for the for the years that it was it was not seen or done at that time so that is when i really knew how much i loved performance you know the second city thing and then getting with that comedy group and i met those five people are still in my life to this day uh we'll talk about a film i just did who was written and directed by one of those guys i mean it, it was really a life-changing event once i started second city it sort of changed everything and then we did this one we did oh, i don't know four or five different things but one of the shows we did was called stumpy's gang and that's what brought me out here 
So you're doing this, you're in Chicago, yeah, and you're doing it for a few years. You're, yeah, years, yeah. And so all of a sudden, how? But at that was, point, I had moved out of mom and dad's again, and right. I'm living downtown. <laughs> and now, now, was it Stumpy's again that brought you out, or was it time that you said, you know, it's time for me to come move? Well, you know, it's weird. When I was in Chicago, um, because of the recognition we were getting for the group White Noise, I was getting auditions for other stuff, and I started getting the occasional commercial that would come in town, maybe a day player on a film that would come in town, because Chicago. You know, for those who don't, who have never been, you got to go. It really, it, it's just one of the best cities ever. Uh, unfortunately, if you want to be a full-time actor and have it be a career, it's tough. Because even if even if you have, if you're a, a big name in Chicago, it's the rare movie that comes in town. And if you do, they bring in all the celebrities from L.A. or right. New York. And even if they do a series, they're casting the series out of L.A. or New York. So Chicago is going to get day player roles. You know, and that's not going to pay your mortgage. I can promise you that. And even if you get into theater, theater's the greatest. But, you know, I think, and I could be wrong, but I, th- I think top, I think $800 a week is the most you're going to make in an equity theater. And $800 a week, that's not terrible money. But number one, you don't go from show to show to show. So right. you- th- that's not even a guaranteed $800 a week. You know what I'm saying? So it was... Um, there was always, you know, L.A. It was always out there. You know, everyone talked about it. So so-and-so went down to, pi- oh, I went to for pilot season, and this happened, and that happened. and So you always hear about it. So we did the show called Stumpy's Gang that involved puppets and blood and a big vagina that just ends up <laughs> killing everybody, as they do. And uh, it was really a pretty incredible show. I didn't write it. Patrick Cannon wrote it. Uh, he's out here now too. And it, it it was it's kind of a one man show with puppets. So it was very much a star vehicle for me, which was awesome. So we're doing it in Chicago and it does great and then it, we end up extending our run and now we're doing midnight shows and people are lined up around the block to see it and we're like we got something. This is something. And then we just started talking and we said oh, man, if there's ever a show that could maybe make it in L.A., this would be it. Right. So we did, in the old days, it wasn't called Kickstarter. It was just begging friends and family. And yeah, we, it, we, it was, it was <laughs> hey, I used to see it with guys with student films. Hey, man, you know, you get like 10 bucks. Yes, yeah, exactly. There, there, it wasn't like, you know, now you can put it on Facebook. It's like, you, it was like cold call sales. Absolutely. Like, we put a little packet together. We mailed it to people. So we got some money together. We found a theater in L.A. called the Zephyr Theater, and we came out here. And I specifically said to all my friends, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go out there. We're going to do this play. I'll come home for the – this was – we were going to open in September. I'll come home for the holidays, see everybody, and then I do want to go back for pilot season, only because this is what I've always heard about, pilot season. You know, I only heard about it. I didn't really even know what it all was about. But the funny part is all of my friends now will tell you that they knew right then and there I was never coming back. And not coming back for to live. I mean, I've been back a thousand well, yeah, times, course, but they, not, knew. they knew that once I got a taste of it. So we came out with the show. Pat and I, we drove a truck with all of our belongings and, and a set. And a big vagina. And a big, big-ass big puppet vagina <laughs> and a dog. And it was just... So ridiculous. The whole thing was so ridiculous. And we took four days and we drove our asses out here. Didn't I I had never been here other than once before, a hundred years ago, like I think 1970 something I had been out here. So we get to LA and we kind of, you know, we had set up an apartment for, so we knew where we were moving to, which was great, but that's kind of all I knew. But we'd go through all that. We get the show on its feet and it becomes the same kind of cult hit that it was in Chicago. It just took off. So the reason, I mean, I always say, the, the, whatever career I have right now is because of Stumpy's Gang, because the tough part for actors when they get here is getting agents and managers, anybody to see them, you know, to get representation. Because without it, right, you have to have representation. Even though, you know, people can bitch about their agents and all that stuff, you got to have them. Otherwise, you're not going to get the good auditions or the good opportunities. So... Because it was this kind of one-man show with puppets, it got a lot of attention. And so the agents were calling me and saying, we'd like to meet with you, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So all of a sudden, I had an agent. And so I do what I so the show was supposed to run uh, until mid-November and ended up running 
through February of the following year. Just kept running. And then it was... Was it always packed? I mean, you always got good crowds? Always packed. Uh, At the beginning, it took a little while. For the word to get out, took a little while. But once the word got out, the word was out. Okay. And people would come dressed as me and... It was crazy. And by the end of it, I'm literally laying in puddles of blood. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy show. The front row had little plastic things over them. It was crazy, but really cool. You know, my character gets, I, I kill myself in an incinerator, and you hear the smoke and the gristle, and it was wild. So then, um, so that it ends at the end of February, and now it's pilot season. Well, lo and behold, I get a pilot. <laughs> so I was like, Damn, this how this works? This no. is easy. What was the pilot? <laughs> well, it was a Jeff Foxworthy pilot. And as awesome as that day was to get that phone call, 10 days later, I got the next phone call. You're out. They had gotten rid of all of us except for him. Wow. Uh, they, you know, from what we hear, they weren't thrilled. Uh, when I say they, I mean Jeff, that. There were funnier people around him. He he never learned the Seinfeld theory of put funny people around you and you too will be funny. So they got rid of all of us and then they recast. I don't even anything ever happened with it. But because it, it's weird, right away when I book it, I'm like, well hell, I should have been here 20 years ago. This is well, you know, that was one lucky little thing and it was awesome because they still paid me, which was nice. Um, and I had booked a film right then too. And at the time, I was super excited, but it turned out to be the movie Ed with Matt LeBlanc and a monkey. And it was horrendous. <laughs> and, but I always say, I had such a great time doing all of that stuff that I, none of it was failed because of me. Well, I always, I always say, and it's funny because people come in and when they talk about how they've been so many pilots that haven't been picked up. Or yeah, something. You know, my so thing many. Is, though, you know what, though? At least you got the pilot. Yeah. I always say that's the thing. There's so many people who don't even get a Mentos commercial. You know, it's like they, they, <laughs> exactly. there's so many people who come in and they don't even get that opportunity. And for me, it's always just amazing because it's like, yeah, right then. I mean, I, I've heard stories on this show, believe me, where people were on a show that ended up becoming a big hit. Yeah. And the table read, they're like, yeah, you know, oh, they yeah. just don't work. And then all of a sudden they sit there and go, crap, same thing. I got the money. But then that show runs for seven years. Ugh. And they go, Jesus Christ, it's in syndication. I could be making that money. It happens. But just to get in the in the, in the the ballpark off of a play yes. where you're covered in blood with a big fake <laughs> vagina. Exactly. I mean, and I, I used to say people came to that show to see whether I would die. Yeah. Because by the end of it, I'm soaked. I'm I'm just panting like a dog. Uh, but you know what's interesting? And this is, I think, life in general, not just for actors. But, you know, there was a time when, I, you know, when I was first starting out and I'd see someone on a commercial and think, wow, to get a commercial. Oh, my gosh. That must just be the greatest thing ever. And then I start getting commercials. And then I see friends guesting or co-star, little co-star roles on TV shows. I'm like, oh, my God. That must be, oh, that... And then I started getting co-star roles. And then I get the call. We're no longer doing co-stars, only guest stars. And I'd see people guesting and go, oh, man, that must be so. You know, but it's I think it's with every career. You know, you can see a lawyer. Oh, I wish I was an appellate lawyer. I, you right. know, there's all sorts of things. So, But there's I believe there's so much luck involved. You know, talent, I'd like to think, has to be part of it once you get the gig. Well, I always, but to get the gig is a lot of luck. Yeah, I always say it, it, there is luck involved. But when you hear stories about people having the luck, they're always prepared for it. And I think it's when you, you yeah, it takes luck. But it's about 10% if it takes luck and you suck, you get in. <laughs> exactly. You're not going to last. Yeah, and that's I thing. totally agree. And the thing is, it's the bottom, yeah, you get that luck, yeah. but it's like anything, a baseball player who gets stuck in the bottom of the ninth and hits that home run. Well, you know what? It was luck that he got in that position. Yeah. It was skill that took think, him. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot here. And I, I talk to people a lot who... You know, they, they, you know, younger actors and stuff, they, go, oh, they, they, they get all bitter. I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. I said, yeah. you know some guy got a commercial. All right, so what? You know what? If he's a dick, he's not going to be working in two years because yeah. he's a dick. Yeah. And you hear And he's not talented, he won't yeah. be working. And that's what Believe me, get. you can be a dick and still work. I've met those people. Yeah, but I but mean. But if you're, if you're talented, uh, what, what, what makes me crazy about this business, and, and I love this, but like, I love it. Even, I, I always say, if I was ever on the way to an audition and I got a call and they said, oh, my God, you just won, you know, $20 million in this lottery, I'd be like, oh, that's so awesome. But look, I'm going into this audition. Right. I'll call you right when I'm done. <laughs> I mean, that means it's in me. You know, there's uh, this is just part of who I am. So that can't change. But what I don't like about this town is when this town caters to the assholes. You know, to the people, and you know, we all know there's famous stories of Brett Butler and Roseanne, and 
you know, but because their numbers are good, they're allowed to treat people poorly. And I just don't get it. But see, for me, okay, and, and I and I agree with you, but that happens in everything. I mean, you probably hear, you look at yeah. you're a baseball fan. Ty Cobb was the biggest racist oh, asshole really? around, but he was Ty Cobb. Right, so it's all going to be hear, fine. You hear football players yeah. look at these thugs. I mean, yeah. like, like you know, they beat their wives. Yeah. But they're good. We'll give them a second chance. Yeah. Michael Vick is still playing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I'm an Eagles fan, and I was like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he did his time, but I'm still yeah. like, he still killed dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bottom line, it's he it had no dogs. problem with it. If yeah. someone else did that, yeah. you wouldn't hear about it. You know, you're right. And Absolutely. It, 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 it happens, and that's the thing. Yeah. Because like, I think it's a society where if you're you know, look at look at the politicians, half of them are jerk offs. Oh, please. The stuff they've done. I mean, we you know Chris Christie. I was talking about you know. Okay, I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. And a few years back, uh-huh. I was going back and forth. Before my girlfriend moved out here, I'd have been back because my parents had moved to Delaware, but I was going back to see Joanne, and that's when this the whole shore thing happened, the storm. And all of a sudden, we're watching these commercials, Stronger Than the Storm, and I see Jersey Strong, and I grew up there. So I'm like, yeah, yeah and I'm buying into this guy as Cooley. I'm like, this guy, Christie's all right. Yeah. yeah. And then I start seeing all the shit he's doing and the stuff, and I'm like, <laughs> and then the worst is, and I, still people are like, why are you pissed? He's New Jersey, and he goes to see a goddamn Dallas Cowboy game. <laughs> you don't do that. You're an Eagles fan or wow, a Giants fan. Wow, you are intense. <laughs> but no, but I'm saying it, it's just it was a matter. Of, but that's the thing. It's like so. It's like it happens yeah. to everything. But I think out here, I think it's it does happen a lot. I think I think people get pampered out here a lot more. So pampered. It, it it's oh I, I've been around it, and I, I just I'll never understand it because. To me, and I won't say who, you know, but I've been on sets. Not, and here's the thing I have to say, because most people know me from Parks and Recreation. You couldn't have found. Parks was the dream situation. Because not only was Amy our fearless leader, Amy Poehler, you would, if your leader, number one on the call sheet, as they say, can walk in with a smile on her face every day, well, how the hell can I not? Right. And believe me, she has life and Children and went through a divorce during the show and all this terrible stuff. And a high-profile divorce. And a high-profile divorce where paparazzi is hiding underneath cars while we're shooting. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. Smile on her face every day. Because she knew she was setting the tone for this show. And so there was eight people who loved each other and never. I have been on shows where actresses are not coming out of their... The little trailers because of whatever they're pissed about or, you know, he doesn't like that she, you know, he wants to wait till she's already out there. But what, here's what here's what makes me crazy. That makes me crazy. But what makes me crazier is why doesn't a producer knock on that door and go, listen, asshole, here's the deal. You're making X amount of dollars. And believe me, anyone on television, on a network show, even bad network money, is good money. Right. So when people say, oh, I didn't make like what so-and-so made. And you're made. blessed to be doing and what you want. Exactly. And a, not, and a steady gig. You're not like, you don't do it for a week and then look for your next gig. You're not the gun for hire, the exactly. guest star. Exactly. Yeah. So, but that, why aren't these producers knocking on the doors and going, no, 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 no. See, you're under contract. So you now get your ass out of here. You know, I, I just, it makes me crazy. And it's funny because, you know, as we talk about TV, TV is a, is a, a uh, writer's medium i yeah. mean you know i mean a good a good script you know a good script is worth a lot in tv sure a movie you can add anything to it yeah you know, but yeah that's what i always get but i mention it all the time and i always hear you know people who worked on uh ncis yeah. said mark Harmon, coolest guy you'd ever yes. meet. yes guys yes probably one of the richest guys in hollywood yeah goes into the set eats with the crew yes sits there he goes okay i want one or two takes you're professionals i want my crew Home to be with their families. Yeah. And you walk in, and I, it's a certain leadership. Amy Poehler goes exactly. in, and you know what? She, yeah, she's going through that. And she has commercials. She has this. She has yes. kids. But she sits there and goes, probably saying, you know what? I love what I'm doing, and I'm probably put myself around people who love what they're doing. I mean, look, Chris Pratt. He's got to like he got to love it. He goes from like a chubby guy to now like chubby guy in a pit symbol. with two broken legs to the number one box office star in the world. And the other thing about people like Amy and Pratt. I mean, Pratt is the perfect example. You cannot, I don't know if you've met him at all, but no. you, you will not meet a kinder, bigger-hearted dude than Chris Pratt. And he's just a guy. He's just a guy. There's no, he's not pretentious. He's not, there's no ego on him. And, and that's the other thing we would always say. Like, how can you bring an ego to set when your lead actor, Amy, doesn't have an ego? Right. Because I have been on shows over the years, and I this is honest to God truth, during rehearsal, especially if it's a multicam. During rehearsals, you know, you rehearse all week, your funny laugh lines, when you come back the next day, they go to the 
star or to the principal actors. You're, it's out of your hands and it's in theirs. Amy loved nothing better than to watch us make her laugh. I mean, that, I mean that's smart. It's just smart. And that's her training. That's the. Yes. I mean, as I always say, everyone I've had on the show from Chicago are the coolest people, yeah. and they're the funniest people. And this thing they've all this, done improv. We've yeah. all done improv. And you've all been, and that's why all of them work. It may be at yeah. different levels, but you know, yeah. like a Mike Haggerty still working. Yeah, Jack, I love Mike Haggerty. Capolos still working. Yeah. You know, all these guys, you know. Look at Neil Definitely. Flynn. Yeah. Neil Flynn, and he he and I would see each other at the Wendy's. There's a Wendy's on Sunset near La Brea. Well, I used to always see him at Black Angus. Oh, really? After after like, the first two seasons of Scrubs, Scrubs, he would just sit there in the corner drinking his beer, eating his steak. <laughs> yeah. I'd see him at Wendy's. You know, both of us bitch about whatever. Uh, I'm red for this. You know, just both of us getting the occasional guest or the occasional line in a film or something. And then he, you know, I'm sure you know this, but he was hired as a guest star. On uh, Scrubs. Oh, I didn't know that. That was not a regular gig. And they knew right away, oh, no, we can't get rid of this guy, which is what happened to Pratt. Pratt was not hired as a regular in Parks. Pratt was going to do six and be done. And they literally knew after one episode with him, they're like, why has no one grabbed him? No, we're, we're, we're taking him now, you know. So, but yeah, so like Neil and, Neil and I have been at different events, and we were at some award show or something. And I remember we're talking, and I go, how the hell are we here? Like, how are these two idiots from Chicago at this crazy event? Right. You know, because it is crazy. It is well crazy. You're, you're a Chicago guy. Maybe you can back me up about this. And it's nothing bad. But I've heard Pat Finn can drink more beer than anybody. I don't know that, but I don't. That wouldn't surprise they, me. But, and they, but they said he never looks drunk. He can just drink beer. He just. And they said John Matta said that he's like Pat. He's the coolest, and he's it's so nice. He's such a sweet man. And he'll just, he'll oh go, my gosh. He's like he, he'll be like. Oh, last call. I'm ordering three. It's going to close. I'll be done. I'll be done. <laughs> the last time I saw Pat was at, um, you know, Mo Collins? Yeah. Actually, Mo- actually, uh, it was her birthday today. It was today's her today. 50th. Yeah, yeah, Ale- yeah. Her husband, Alex. I Alex know. Scooby, yeah. Uh, who I did, my first, the first show I ever did as a regular was a show called Strip Mall for Comedy Central with Julie Which, Brown, who, who I know you've interviewed. Last week. Love, love with all my heart, Julie Brown. I played her husband. And it was this ridiculous show, but we had so much fun. And it was like a ridiculous show. Uh, and it had some crazy people. But Alex was on it, I think, for maybe the first season. I forget how long he was on it. So I got to know him there. And then Mo and I have gotten to work together because of Parks. And now we've done other projects together. And I love her to death. Uh, but anyway, so Pat was at her Christmas party this year. And I saw Pat then. And he is just, first of all, he doesn't age. No. He looks like he did. 30 years ago, so I have to hate him for that. Uh, but just a big full head of hair. It's like, you bastard. No, yeah, you do you, think. At least you, you have hair. I have, yeah, but Come believe on. me. You know, it's funny. On Parks, for, uh, there's this stuff called uh, emulsif. There's a name, emulsifier. I don't know. It's the stuff they squirt in your hair. Well, they never used to do that to me. Like the first four seasons of Parks, I'd see other actors getting it. I'm like, oh, what a shame. Someone's losing a little on top there. <laughs> and then season five, day one, I'm in the chair. And she grabs the little jar and starts, I'm like, oh, damn. Because that means they've been looking at stuff. <laughs> they see that it's starting to happen. The dallies. Wait a second. Yeah. So, okay, so you did Strip Mall. Now, yeah. how long did Strip Mall run? We did. And that was Comedy Central? Comedy Central. I think we did two seasons. But I feel like we did 22 episodes. Would you do 11 a season? I feel like we did 22 episodes. But I could be, I, I, I don't know. Um, but it was. Silly, and there was some great people. Um, oh, what is oh the one guy? He ended up getting an Emmy uh, for the show Twenty Four. Um, oh, Greg something can't think of his name. But there was uh, Cindy um, Cindy Williams who played on Laverne and Shirley. Right. She ended up killing, trying to kill me. She shot me in an episode. We had crazy uh, Victoria Jackson. Really? Uh, now, that was that when she was already full blown off the political she was, landscape. She was heading there. You know, she it, was heading there. It's weird. I don't. I'm not. I don't talk politics on my show and stuff like that because you know. I mean, I talked about Christie, but yeah, I, but, but not, right in general. But yeah, it, it's weird that when you find a comedian, a comedian who was on like Saturday Night Live that goes like so far. I mean, like Dennis Miller did it because you know he went. Well, you know that's the market. You know, and he's he's a he's a great writer. But it's just weird when someone goes like they sort of just disappear out of the business and they guess woohoo. But she, yeah, she went off the deep end. Right. I mean, that's weird. I mean, her, <laughs> her, 
her comments about certain things. But I'll, I've got to tell you, the minute she's out there saying something, I, I, I look for it because it's so crazy. Right. That I actually enjoy it. It's so. <laughs> and when it's like when Trump. Now, and again, I'm not a political political guy either. That being said, I can't wait to see what Trump will say next because oh. he's out of his mind. Well, see, the funny thing is that, they, that people actually take Trump serious. But are they? I mean, well, like, I follow everything he does, role. but I'm not following. He'd never get. I'd never punch a, a ballot, but I am following everything he does. Oh, I know. I know. But that's for why, the comedy of. That's it. why we follow because it's so it's, fat it's shit crazy and it's hair shit and you crazy. look at it and you go, uh, you go, this is wonderful. And everyone's a loser. You're a loser. He's a loser. Yeah, but I mean, when he called Rosie O'Donnell a uh, pig and this <laughs> and that, and, and, that, and, and you heard about the latest thing he, with the writer from. Uh, Modern Family. I don't know what happened. Well, I heard the well they went back him. and forth. The Modern Family guy, you know, did a tweet about, you know, and I'm totally paraphrasing, but, you know, mocking him about the immigration, his stance on immigration. Now, how long has Trump been around? You don't take the bait. You you have to let shit fly because it's the world we live in. Right. Well, he took it. Well, then he tried to go back and forth with a guy who's a famous writer who's quick and smart and funny. Right. Well, it was so embarrassing. At one point, Donald goes, I just watched an episode of Modern Family. It's not a good show. Yeah. Like, you know, that's where he goes because he has no brain to. He goes to that 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 third grade mentality. It's like watching a child yes. have an argument with an exactly. adult. And I love it. I oh, love it. I love it. I love it. You sit there and you laugh. Oh, my gosh. My girlfriend always goes, he's such an idiot. I, go, I know he's an idiot. Everyone knows he's no, an idiot. No, but see, how is he number two in the polls, though? Is that legit? Well, yeah, there's there's there's. 18 guys running. Well, okay, True, Jeb, yeah. Jeb, Jeb Bush is number one. Uh, but that I get. Yeah, he has, but he hasn't done anything for like eight years. I know, but he is legacy. So right. you're going to get legacy votes. But, uh, you're going to get people who were, have Bush fans, and you're going to get basic Republicans well, who, no matter what. We're, we're going to, I'm going to tell you how it comes down to. Trump is number two in the polls, and you know what? The Kardashians are watched by millions. Oh. That's all you got to say. It's just you oh. sit there and you go, wait a second. You know, I mean, and oh. that, that's but that's what this has come to. Trump <laughs> is a reality. You think about it. Trump is a lot of people don't know Trump is a smart businessman. But a lot of people, you know, know him from you're fired. You're fired. Yeah. So yeah, people yeah, yeah. sit there and so many people, unfortunately, have that that mentality of reality yeah. TV that they go, hey. Hey, this, we like this guy. Yeah. He fires people. Oh. Hey, he'll, he'll fire a country. Oh. Yes, that's the thing. So I want, I want to get back to strip uh. mall. Now, <laughs> how long did how long did strip mall run? Two years. I, you I said? think two. I think two seasons. I feel like we did twenty two episodes. So after that ended, what what did you start doing? Well, you know, it was weird because even when I got that show, um, here's the thing. It was the year two thousand, Comedy Central. Now I, I said earlier, even bad network money is good money. Well. Comedy Central money in 2000. Now, I was a, one of the leads. I played Julie's husband, so I'm one of the regular characters. My pay was, and again, when I say this, it always sounds terrible because I know in the real world this is a lot of money, but it was $2,000 an episode. Now, a network, you wouldn't guessed at the time for less than five. Right. You know, I mean, that's just how it works. And you're a lead. I'm a lead in this damn thing. And then by season two, though, I got a 50% raise to 3000 an episode. So, you know, then the money was rolling in. But you still think about it. Okay, you're a lead on the series, and if you did 22 total episodes, yeah. you basically you made 22000 and then 33000 Yeah. And and it's it's on TV, and they don't, I don't think they pay residuals. No, no Comedy Central, they can re-air it 100 times. Yes, yeah, so you're sitting there going, <laughs> basically, you're making uh, DJ money again. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Though, had an amazing time. And it doesn't hurt to get your face out there. Right. That's always good. Uh, so after, um, after Strip Mall, I just went back to doing what I had been doing and what I will always continue to do, and that's guest star and... Do a pilot that doesn't work or do a something that blows up or does work and then gets pulled or canceled, which is the nature of the business. To have a run like we did on Parks is such a miracle in right. so many ways. I mean, like you can't believe how many ways it's a miracle to go seven seasons. We did 125 episodes. Um, one, Amy uh, just told the story at a panel we were doing. There was a flight that was leaving New York with the heads of NBC. When the flight began, they canceled us. By the end of the flight, we were back on the schedule. So, I mean, it's so, everything is so tentative and so, 
you're always unless you're a Big Bang Theory or a Modern Family or you know I mean there's certainly shows that never had to worry you know we were not that show and most shows were like we are like every year people go oh my god you guys are such a big hit well the problem that hurt Parks people hurt us was the people who watched us the younger people like I think a big demographic was like 18 to 39 or whatever that age range is. They weren't watching television. They're on their computers. They're on Netflix. They're on Hulu. That's where they were watching. Right. So we don't get the actual numbers for the network. Which, which, you know, that always cracks me up with the ratings now. It's because, as I said, you know, we watch, my girlfriend loves TV. So we'll watch it. We DVR stuff. And you know what? You sit there because when you go through the commercials. Hell yeah. And you sit there and, but that doesn't go towards the ratings. They don't track if you recorded something, if someone they do, to, if you they do live up to seven days. Okay, cause so they will do live plus one, live plus three, live plus seven. Okay, because I'm I'm thinking if people call me and say, "What did you watch on a Tuesday night at yeah. eight? I'll go, well, "I watched this," but then I also watched this, but I watched that. You the know. whole the whole Nielsen system is so antiquated, but yet they still use it. So, but what luck? What happened for Parks? I think we uh, through some category we were it was found out we were like the number one show in households a hundred thousand dollars or more so they looked at us as a an elite show like seinfeld when it started so you can exactly so you can get higher end advertising you know blah 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 so but no but to get back to it it's it's also fragile it's so fragile and think about it, it is the rare show that is a big bang or a uh a you know, The Office, when it first came out, was a hit from the beginning. You know, it's the rare show that takes off from the beginning and stays strong. We did not take off too, too strong, and we fought every season to come back. How did it come about to get that role? Mm. Was it a long process? Was it, I mean... A... Well, I'm I'm pretty realistic about a lot of things, how they work, at least in my own head, how they work. Um, so I get the call. They want you to audition for Amy Poehler's untitled you know, pilot. Okay. So my theory on auditions has always been, um, I, first of all, I, I, I'm the rare actor. I love auditioning. I know that sounds crazy. You're the rare. I'm the rare actor. Some people panic. For me, it's performance, and I love performance. So I love it. And that's not to say I don't get butterflies before I walk in, but I think that's all good and healthy, and I think that's good. Uh, so I get the call, and they say in the room is going to be Greg Daniels, who I know created The Office, and Mike Shore, and Allison Jones is the casting director, who I'd read for her for other things over the years. I'd read for The Office probably four or five times, never booked it. Uh, but they wanted me to read for the role of Ron Swanson. So I don't know if you how familiar you are with Parks. Yeah, that's... He's, Nick Offerman ended up playing it. And as it turns out, he was their choice. He was, They loved him. They wrote it for him. He was their guy the whole time. But the way the networks work, we don't know. you got to see everybody, you know, blah, 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 blah. So in my head, I'm like, there's no way they're giving Jim O'Hare a, a co-lead with Amy Poehler. It's just not going to happen. But my goal is always, okay, Mike Shore, Greg Daniels, Allison Jones, I want to kick ass on this audition because if this show goes and it's Amy Poehler, I think it will, I want a guest spot down the road or I want, you know, I just want to make a good impression. So I go in, I do my version of Ron Swanson, which, you know, was different than what Nick ended up doing. Um but they like something, because two weeks later I get a call, would you come back for a role of Jerry? And I said, of course. Um, so I get there. But, you know, and, and the most depressing thing for an actor, for me at least, you walk in the room, and you know, because you're like, hopefully they've narrowed it down to a couple of people. Right. But when you walk in the room and there's everybody, you're like, oh, hell. You know, but you've got to still go in, put on your happy face and go in. And so it was the same guys again. It was Allison and Mike and Greg. And we did a lot of bullshitting, which I loved. You know, it wasn't all just about the audition. And we talked about Chicago and we talked about improv. Uh, you know, I had worked with Carell, who they, uh, you know, did the office with. So, you know, we had some people in common and blah, blah, blah. So then I do the audition and, I, you know, and you have to let auditions go. Because, first of all, if you're a busy actor, you're doing, you couldn't obsess about every one of them. You'd kill yourself. Right. Because some weeks I have four or five. It all depends on what's going on. So I let it go, and then two weeks later, I get a call, my manager, and she goes, hey, uh, they want to book you on that um, Amy Poehler show. And I said, oh. Uh, and I really had to like, okay, I go, for what? Like, cause I really wasn't even, and she said, the role of Jerry? I said, oh, yeah. Okay, wow, that's awesome. So 
I was very excited because in my and now they weren't booking me as a regular. They're just going to book me. They're going to do six because as it turns out, Amy was pregnant, and the network said, "Don't do a pilot. Get as many in as you can before she's too big." So they do six. That's the plan. So the word is, I will do those six, but they're not hiring me as a series regular, just a weekly guest. So okay. So when I get there the first day. I, I was super psyched, and I get there, and then I got this. Uh, none of the other actors were in this one area where I was told to wait, and then they come walking in because they'd just been at this meeting that you have to sexual harassment meeting that they make you go to, which is so crazy. But anyway, so they and they're all laughing and joking together and stuff, and I thought, oh, I'm not part of this. I'm just literally an outsider. Well, then two minutes later, Mike Shore says, "Everybody, you didn't meet our other family member, Jim O'Hare is here," oh, wow. and I remember going. Yes, family member. I like that. Still not knowing what would happen. So we did the six, and then a, a lucky thing happened for me. Um, they were done shooting the six, and I get a call from my agent, and they said, listen, uh, they need to do some uh, intros or some, uh, what they call them, intros? There was a, it was either going to be for the ending or the beginning or ends of the show. Uh, and they said, would you be willing to go into the forest with Amy and just do some improv with her? Well, yeah, of course. So I go do that, and from what I understand, that kind of solidified, okay, he can keep up with the big boys, and, you know, because Amy and I, we had a blast. They brought us, it was me and her and three little kids, and we just had a great time. So, and they used all of it. So I was like, okay, they were happy with that. But still, I was not a regular. So season two comes along. And now I'm a guest. Every week I'm a guest. And every but week, you're on every week. But I'm on every week. And we get the call on Thursday. We need Jim for next week. Because, you know, the, the way Park shot was like the office. It's mockumentary. So you could be never speak, but you're seen. Right. Because the camera follows, you know. Like there were days Amy just sat because she had no lines. But if the camera's going to turn your direction, you have to be at your desk. So... I yeah I literally did every single episode of Parks and Recreation. There's a couple episodes where I never even speak at the okay. beginning, but I was never one. And then I'll never forget, like uh, it was around the holidays, so we must have shot nine of season two, and I was at an airport in Miami, and I get a a, a message from my manager, and she goes, they called about doing a deal, you know, for series regular. And I was like, oh my god, that is like. Music to my ears. Because, it, it, number one, it solidifies they like what I'm doing. Because they had even given me a storyline. Season two, I wasn't even a regular. And they gave me a storyline. And I'll for, never forget, the people from The Office, were, who I love all of them. I don't know if you've met those people like, um, oh, God. I've only met Kate. Okay, oh, Kate, well, Kate Flannery, my God, the sweetest girl. We did, uh, we've done a couple of game shows together. But um, they would tease us because when they started The Office... They had to do the same thing. They'd have to be there every day, even if they weren't speaking because of the way it was shot. And so they'd be at their computers that were fake. Well, for us, they gave us working computers from day one. So from day one, we'd be ordering shit online and, you know, because it's just, what, do you, yeah, what the it's hell? There. Why not? It's there playing solitaire and you know, Minecraft or whatever. And then, um, and then when they heard that I got a storyline, season two, are you kidding me? I didn't get a storyline, but jokingly, you know. Right, right, right. So they were great. So I knew that they were liking me, but it's when you get that call that, okay, they want you to be a series regular with this crowd. It, it was, you know, and then at the very next, uh, you know, then a deal has to happen, all that. Cr the back and forth can make your head explode when it comes to making a deal because, you know, your agents and managers, they're doing their job, which is to get you the very best deal possible. But then they'll call you and say, well, here's the latest, and we're going to tell them no. You're and like, in my mind, I'm like, no, exactly. this is lovely. Everything. Is, no, no, we can do better than this. Oh, yeah. It's very. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm fine I'm with this. fine with I this. I don't need this kind of car. <laughs> exactly. Just give me this. Because I know, if, exactly. you know this car will last. You know, yeah, exactly. that's the thing. Well, uh, here's when I would, I told you I did the Jeff Foxworthy pilot when I had first, my first pilot season. I was at my agent's office. I'd been told I got the gig, but now it goes to business affairs. And I knew nothing. So I'm in her office actually reading a script for something else. This was in the old days when there wasn't email. So you'd either have to go into the office and read a script or they would have a messenger send right. it. To, I mean, everything has changed. So she's on the phone with business affairs for my deal. And she said, well, he has Second City experience and da, 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 da. And then she, I hear her say, well, you know what? You call back when you're serious. And she hung up. And I remember my heart sinking into my balls like, 
what are you doing? I got nothing. I got I got theater experience in Chicago. I I got some commercials. I and she goes, no, no, this is the game. This is part You're of the going, game. I don't want this game. I know, but of course they do call back with a better yeah. deal. I mean, it all you know. But when you hear it, so but uh, so after they did the final deal at the next table read, uh, Mike Shore he goes, I do have an announcement to make, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to welcome Jim O'Hare to the cast of Parks and Recreation. Well, I got chills now even thinking about it. Nothing better. Because I knew what a special place it was. And if you talk to any actor who's ever guested, any actor will tell you it was unlike any other place they'd ever worked. Just because the cast and the crew, producers, were just good people. And, right. And there were no idiots. There was no egos. There was no... You know, like I've been in shows where I hear that, you know, when I'm guesting, I'll hear the the ensemble uh yeah how did you get on um letterman like well um you know like you can just tell there's all this jealousy stuff going on we never had it we just didn't and and everyone's everyone's take everyone's work from that you know everyone's doing fine you know what i mean there's certain levels um you know like would would anyone have thought chris pratt like we were saying earlier would now be the number one but you couldn't i'll never forget when chris pratt got uh guardians of the galaxy when he told me I, I was standing with him and Nick Offerman, and I literally, and I think Nick did too, I literally got watery eyes. I was so happy and proud of him. There was no actor jealousy because he's such a good guy and such an honest, hardworking guy, you know, that you just want success for these people. So, yeah, and we're all different people. I mean, Aziz, he's got a whole different career. He's a, he's a stand-up comedian who right. sells out Madison Square Garden. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. He knows I don't understand his comedy, right. but you know I'm 53, he's 30. So when he's talking about Jay Z and and P Diddy and I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but my God, I go to his concert and the people around me are dying. They're dying. So he's a genius. We're running out of time. Oh damn! But I want to talk about the movie. Yes. Now that's with uh, and it's with Shoemaker. Uh, Craig Shoemaker's in it. Um, now, who wrote it? A friend of yours. My friend. It? Here's the thing. Ned Crawley from White Noise. Uh, he called me years ago. He said, "I'm sending you the script because we've always all stayed in contact." He sends me the script and I read it and I go, "Oh my god, that's awesome!" But we're nobodies. We can't make this movie. We can't. Well, then I'm on Parks and. Things start happening and there's attention and da 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 da. He gets a call from producers who say we saw this script. If you can get O'Hare to attach to it, we'll do it. So he calls me. I said, Are they legit? Like he goes, No, I've worked with them because Ned's in the ad biz. He goes, No, I've worked with them. They they work for Disney. Blah blah blah. Next thing you know, uh, we're making a film and it's me. It's Andrew J. West, who people would know from Walking Dead. It's Josh McDermott, who people would know from Walking Dead. Ann Dudek, who played my love interest, who is from Mad Men, the show House, uh, Craig Shoemaker, the love master. I mean, the, uh, Tracy Walters, who if anyone ever watched Repo Man, or he's been in everything. Tracy's been in everything. We got a cast together, and it was low budget. We did the Kickstarter. And these actors came in for $100 a day because of the script. There was only reason to come in was because of the script. Because, you know, actors don't have to work for $100 a day, especially at their levels. You know I mean? They all work con constantly. Um, but this script is pretty awesome. And so we just finished shooting last week. Now, what's it called? It's called Middleman. And that's why my hair is dark right now. I had to get it dyed. Uh, and it's about, a, it's about a sad sack whose mother, at the top of the film, his mother dies. And he's really got nothing left and he's she's been his whole world and he's kind of pathetic but he's dreamed of comedy you know he him and his mother used to listen to burns and allen and uh, all the you know abbott and costello and all those guys and so they would memorize their routines so the only thing she leaves him because she's got no money is an old car and he gets in the car and he's going to head to vegas and along the way he picks up picks up a hitchhiker and things go horribly wrong okay. horribly wrong it's a very dark comedy there's a lot of blood. <laughs> Seems to be blood in everything I do. Um, there's no big puppet vagina. There is no big puppet. There is a puppet, but no big no puppet vagina. vagina. Um, it's. Uh, I, I've seen some of the dailies, and I have trouble looking at my own work. I always have. But Ned, and it's so weird, because Ned, who's been one of my closest friends for 30 years, he directed me unlike I've ever been directed. 
and I think it shows. Probably because he knows you so well. He does, and he would say that. He goes, I know what you can do. Because, you know, I you get labeled in this town. I'm the big, funny, wacky, blah, 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 you know, that he can, you know, yeah. get in he'll be and make it funny, you know. Uh, but I'm the straight guy in this. I mean, I, not that I don't have some funny moments, but it is not about me being funny. This is, other people can be funny, but I am going through some terrible stuff. And the end of the film is an absolute bloodbath, and I am just out of my mind by the end. But it was incredible to shoot. Even though we shot at low budget, they really they managed to get decent trailers and decent food, which, you know, give actors trailers and food and they're happy. Uh, give the crew a good table of food and they're happy. So it worked out awesome. It really worked out great. And then, uh, so it's now in post-production. We hope to be at the festivals in the fall. But it still needs color, you know. Uh, it takes uh, time. It takes it's... time. Sound, it, it, there's going to be, you know, a, a sound, tra- all that stuff. It, it all takes time. But I think it's going to be a good film. Yeah. Who knows? I haven't seen it edited together. But from what I've seen, I think it's going to be a good film. Now, what else is going on with the crew? I uh, just finished a movie called Halloween. Halloween? Halloween. Okay. As in weed. Uh, it's a stoner film, Halloween film. And uh, I play a crazy mayor. Can't say what happens, but at the end, something happens. Uh, Tom Sizemore is in that. Um, I just, Danny I, Trejo. I've been going back and forth with Sizemore on Twitter about coming on the show. Oh, and really? He's supposed to do it. And did you shoot that up in um, uh, San Bernardino? No. Where did you shoot that movie at? Halloween. Uh, I was in Fillmore, and I was in the D.C. stages downtown. Okay, because he was somewhere, but now he's, oh. he's in Alabama shooting something, oh, with something else. Nick yeah. Cage. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't work with him. I had no scenes with him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they had a great day. I know they had a good time with him and all that. And then I actually just took a, a three-month gig, which I can't believe I'm doing it, but I'm crazy excited. I'm going to do a play in Kansas City for three months. What play? It's an oldie. You can't take it with you. Okay. And uh, I said to my agents, I really need to get back to do some theater. Because, you know, when you're – actors used to always talk, at least my crowd, man, the dream would be to get on a series that ran, and then it goes to syndication, and then you can do whatever the hell you want. And I've kind of been blessed because I was on a show that went seven years. We're in syndication, and now I want to do some theater. So they got me this. How'd you pick Kansas City? I didn't. They okay. chose me. I got a call one day saying, you've just been offered this role for, you know, and I was shocked. Uh, turns out Kansas City has some money because it's really a lovely deal, and it was tough to turn down. It was, and I, I said to my agent, I go, but I don't know, should I be gone this time of year? You know, because it's literally August, no, September, October, November. And they said, I said, because that's always super busy for me. And they said, well, yeah, because you've been on parks the last seven years. I right. Go, oh, yeah. That's why it's always been so damn busy. Because I'm always thinking, I'm always busy those months. Well, yeah, I've been on a show. So, um, yeah, that'll be different. So we'll see. And then I'm heading out to do a film called Smothered by Mothers next week, uh, the 20th, whenever the 20th, no, that's next week two or whenever. Weeks. Two weeks yeah, in two Naples, weeks. Florida. Um I think that's like 10 days. So, yeah. So, so I have to say it's what, – what's changed – what changes about being on a show like Parks is you don't have to fight so hard. Right. You know, a lot of offers come in without auditioning, which isn't to say I won't audition because I am the – like I told you, give me – I auditioned for a Clint Eastwood film recently, which supposedly I'm on hold for. We'll see. Um I'll audition my ass off. Yeah, so I'm not like, oh, I don't audition anymore right. because I've been a... But oh, you, hell no. But it's, it's good not to have to. I know how this business works, and I am more than happy to walk in a room and prove myself. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, my God, this was so fast. Um, I, this I was an hour? Yeah, it flies. It flies. Uh, do you tweet? Oh, yeah, Twitter. I tweet uh, at Jim O'Hare, and O'Hare is O-H-E-I-R. Because I'd ask, was it definitely... Maybe it's O'Hare. O'Hare. And yeah. should you tweet a lot? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I have like, um, I don't have a ton of, I have like 110,000 followers. That's a lot. Eh, compared to some. Well, it's just like like I said, well, I wish I had the right. 500,000. <laughs> <laughs> well, follow him on Twitter, people. Okay, follow him because he's 100. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. You can follow me. Uh, also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 390 episodes up there. Uh, you can email me through there, cooper at coopertalk.net. If you go to iTunes or Stitcher, it's one word, Cooper Talk. Because when Anderson Cooper had his talks and everything got screwed up, type in one word, Cooper Talk, and you can do it. And, yeah, so email me. And don't forget my other website, StopTheSalt.com. You know, it was three years ago I got out of the hospital with my heart problem. I'm all better now, so I wrote a low-sodium cookbook. There's 120 recipes. And you know what? They're all easy to make. There's, there's no 
pictures to look at because you get intimidated when you see pictures. It's basically set for guys. So they sit there. And when you look at the ingredients, you know, you sit there and you look at the ingredients. There's no cumin. You don't have to worry about that. There's basic ingredients. That's all you need. So go to StopTheSalt.com and buy it there because I make more money. You can buy it at Amazon or Barnes Noble online, but I'll sign it for you and I make more money. So StopTheSalt.com and I'll mail it out to you. So do that. So follow Jim O'Hare. That's H-E-I-R on Twitter. Follow me at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Don't forget, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you guys next week.